I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. I'm very proud to announce our new sponsor, Katsu Global. I love their products, and I'm so thankful for their support of this podcast. I'll tell you a little bit more about Katsu later on in this episode. Today's guest started her athletic career as an elite gymnast with dreams of Olympic glory. But after a major injury, she was forced to switch gears and found her way to the pool where Olympic-sized dreams began to bloom once again. Christy Christensen quickly advanced through the ranks in diving, becoming a competitive collegiate and national diver. But then a series of major injuries struck again, finally ending her Olympic dreams. After she began to help her own body heal, Christy's focus began to shift to helping others heal as well. Christy is the co-creator of Deep Exhale and Kirana Yoga School, and she is well known for her unique style of yoga that she created called Soul Fire. Known for her dynamic blend of yoga, dance, inspiration, and live music, Christy travels the world leading workshops, retreats, and teacher trainings. She also sits on the faculty as a master instructor for numerous festivals and conferences in more than 20 countries around the globe. Christy tells us about her athletic journey, how it broke her, and how she began to heal from it. She's also honest with us about how her fears held her back and how she finally faced and overcame them. Along with Christy's amazing story, I want to tell you about something I made with you in mind. If you want to take your mind and performance to the next level, I'd like to introduce you to the Confidence Journal. It feels so good to have created a tool to help you keep your head in the game and get you ready for your toughest competition. This journal is specifically designed to be quick and effective. You'll begin to take charge of your mindset and start your days off positive and focused. At the end of each day, you'll discover lessons and building blocks to continue growing. You can order the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com slash journal or go on Amazon and just search for my name, Laura Wilkinson and Confidence Journal. Before we get started, go smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you've been enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Christy Christensen, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. You are always on the go. So I am super grateful that you're able to make time for us today. Oh my gosh. It is such an honor and a pleasure. And I'm just so excited to be here. Thank you. (laughs) We got so giddy right before coming on. I'm like, I I can't talk anymore. We can talk after, but we'll just ramble on and never even get to the recording. So for those of you who may not know Christy, she's obviously amazing. A lot of things that we're about to discuss, but she was also a bridesmaid in my wedding. And so we've been really tight for a while, but then spaced out, but it's like, we get back together and it's like, no, no time has passed at all. It feels like. It's amazing. I love it. So Christy, I've known you since our diving days, but even before that you were an elite gymnast, which to me is just always something so admirable because that was my old dream, you know, when I was young. So tell us a little bit about your gymnastics days and how that turned into diving days. Yes. I, um, this is going to, you know, tell you my age. I watched Mary the Rhett and win the gold medal. Um, similar to what probably so many people's stories of why they're diving now, people watching you win the gold medal in 2000. And I was, I mean, I was tiny. I was a little girl. I watched her win the gold medal. And I said to my mom, that is what I want to do. And my mother's name is Mary Lou. And I was like, can we change my name? I want my name to be Mary Lou. (laughs) Like literally, I was like, why didn't you name me after you? And at that time, um, I had been dancing already. My mom had a dancing school. And we lived in an, um, an apartment on top of the dancing school. And the, what I really excelled at was the acrobatics. So there were different people that came through and different teachers that came through that they're like, you have to put her in gymnastics. Like she's fearless. She's strong. She's super flexible. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it got to the point where, you know, I was trying to then do tricks on my own. We had a staircase oh, in, um, in the house to go from. And I would literally like do it, try to do a handstand, like do a back flip over back bend. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah. So I, I picked up gymnastics very quickly, was very fortunate that by the age of 10 years old, um, the Olympic coach from uh, Brazil came to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which we had just moved to from New York. And he picked 10 girls to work with. And I was one of the girls that he worked with. And, you know, that was when everything shifted from it being a hobby to like, oh no, like he, 
he instilled in us that, oh, no, no, the, the goal of picking you girls is to see who of you can make it to the Olympics. So it was like this big dream I had came like, oh my gosh, this is actually possible. And when you're young like that, you actually don't know how hard it is or how impossible it might be. But that was kind of the magic of it in so many ways. And it was my life, eight brave eat, breathe, sleep, gymnastics. I wasn't at the gym. I was doing my beam routines on the floor in my bedroom. I was reading gymnastics magazines, putting gymnastics posters on my walls, like everything. And then my body started not responding really well to the amount of training and the amount of hours that we were doing. Cause it got to the point where it was a before school, after school kind of, kind of training regime. I first started having knee problems and I tore my Achilles tendon and again, I'm young, I'm like 12 years old, you know, but again, like I, my drive was so strong. My passion was so strong and my belief in my coach was so strong that I thought I could do anything. And I was like, the one doctor would say, if you don't stop now, you're going to be walking with crutches the rest of your life, you know, all the things that I know you have heard as well. And I just kept persevering through and, you know, competed all over the U.S. and was, was still hopeful that that dream could be, you know, a reality of being able to make the Olympics. But uh, when I was 14, I broke my back. I flung off the uneven bars. I was doing giants to go to a dismount. My hand literally just like flung off the bars. And it was that split decision, I guess, of like, do I throw the dismount or not? And did something in between. And I actually landed on the back of my head, but my neck didn't break. My T12 broke. What is the T12? I don't know what that is. Your 12th thoracic. So pretty much your mid back. So it's actually not a super common place to break. So they don't know if I had some kind of structural defect there previously, because I'd never had an MRI before. But what made the story even kind of more interesting was my parents were out of the country. My dad was on a business trip. My mom happened to accompany him. We had like a 17-year-old babysitter like staying with us. Oh my God. You know, the gym calls and then, yeah. And then like, I'm in like, you know, and then they put me in this back, you know, I, I didn't have surgery. I was just in a back brace. They came home, I'm sleeping, sitting up. And my mom was like, no more, like no more. I know it's your dream, but we're not risking you being paralyzed, you being... And, and I was pretty good at pushing them. There was no room to be pushed. And that was the end of my gymnastics career and the end of what I thought was going to be my movement in the direction of potentially going to an Olympics. I mean, that's so devastating. You know what I mean? How did you handle that as a 14-year-old? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Not well at all because all of my friends, I, I didn't really have... I mean, I had, a, I guess they were, I had acquaintances at school. But all my friends were really my gym friends because they understood what I was going through. You know, I got special things to leave school early, go to school late, you know, to be able to train. And I wasn't really part of the school in a way, you know, it was just something I did. If I would have had the choice to have homeschooled, like I remember, you know, I would watch gymnastics on TV like crazy. And of course, like seeing, you know, the, the Corolli regime and the Browns regime at that time was quite big. And you know, they were all getting to homeschool. And I was like, let me hope, like, that's what I would have wanted. But actually, I didn't really just didn't even want to go to school. I just wanted, I just wanted to do gymnastics. I can um, relate to that. <laughs> and even now, like so many people are like, oh, with all you went through and, you know, cause I, a lot of other bad habits, a lot of amazing things got instilled into me during that time. And then a lot of not so good things got instilled to me into that time. But even with that, if I had to do it all over again, without a shadow of a doubt, I would have I would have chose to gone this path to have walked this path, but I didn't know what depressed was at the time, but I guess I, I got super depressed. I didn't know what else I was good at. Like, I thought my world was over. Like, I was just like, well, what now? I'm 14. What now? I don't really like school. I don't really have any friends. I'm in pain. Yeah. <laughs> like it was kind of not good prospects. <laughs> no, no. And then the school I went to, they had um, like a not competitive cheerleading, like there's competitive cheerleading now, but like they had a competition a year, you know, kind of thing. And they're like, oh, Christy, she could do like the backflips for us. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I could do like, I could do a backflip like for you or a backflip full twist or something, you know? And I remember like going, so for like six months, I tried like the cheerleading thing and I was, I'd never done a team sport. (laughs) 
Oh, and I yeah. was angry at everybody because nobody cared. Nobody See, I can re- I can relate to that because I same. I, I always grew up in an individual sport. So when I quit gymnastics, I tried like the softball and I did drill team my freshman year. And I same thing. I would get so frustrated. Like I did it right. Why do we have to keep doing it over and over again? I, yeah, I just didn't. Why understand. does nobody else work hard? <laughs> I know. <sighs> and I was like, you just do this to like socialize. Like you don't want to win. Like I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> this is not a concept. Like we're doing this to win. <laughs> uh, so how did you eventually make it to the pool? How did that come about? So what I would do is I would bribe someone to drive me to the gym so I could like visit my old, you know, teammates. I could visit my old coaches. And, you know, as I healed and was, you know, doing, you know, doing well, you know, they'd be like, you know, we'll talk to your parents. Like, we'll, 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 you're going to come back. You're going to make a comeback, you know, da, 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 da. And then I was like, no, no, really. Like, and I guess they tried and they, there was, again, they hit the same blocks. But then uh, one day I showed up at the gym just to visit. And was like jumping on the trampoline, whatever. And the coach said to me, why don't you try diving? Like maybe diving will be easier on your body. And there's got to be so much of the skills you already have that would translate really well. And I was like, great, I'm going to try diving. (laughs) I go home literally that night. And I said, mom, dad, I'm going to be a diver. And they're like, what? <laughs> like there was no pool. There was no, like we had a country pool, you know, club pool, but there was like no city pool. There was no training facilities. And the only thing I really knew about diving was Greg Luganus. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so, <I'm> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So my mom was, happened to be on the phone with um, her best friend who had just moved to Orlando. And she was like, I don't know what we're going to do. Chrissy came home. She wants to try diving now. And I don't think she's going to let this go. And my mom's friend said, oh, there's this amazing pool right by where we live. And they have the platforms and they have, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, maybe I can get some information for you. Maybe you can like send her to diving camp. So summer of uh, just before I turned 16, I went to a diving camp at Team Orlando and without have ever dove a day in my life with the exception of running to the end of the board and like flipping until I hit the water. <laughs> Did not know, like at that time, they were like the junior Olympic champions, Brian Galuli, you know, junior world champion <laughs> training, like all these amazing, like I'd never seen platforms before. I didn't even know how to do a hurdle. <laughs> like, I, I so like didn't know like, what you were getting into (laughs) at all, but to a point that it was like, it was just kind of, it was almost good because there was no ego at all. It was just kind of like, holy moly, they just flipped three and a half times, you know, (laughs) but the pool, there was this problem and they were trying to save the pool. So they almost canceled the camp. So it was me, the one 16 year old with like 12, 12 and under like 12, 10, (laughs) eight year old. Like doing this camp. Nice. And there was me. <laughs> um, but long story long, I um, was supposed to go for two weeks and I ended up spending the whole summer there. And the coach was Jeff Schaefer at the time. And he said, we got to get you to move down here. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's do it. And, you know, he, he's like, let me call your parents. Let me see, you know, we can find a family for you to live with. And he was the one that actually said, he, he was like, for how quickly you've advanced in this short period of time. And um, he's like, I definitely think you could get a scholarship to college. And depending on what happens, you know, in those years, like you could be on a track to make an Olympic team. Like, so right away, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I, again, like thought like, okay, I knew like I was doing well and I was enjoying it and I was having fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I found something again even though I was terrified of heights, which I didn't know I was terrified of, like three <laughs> meters was really high for me at that time. And my parents were like, no way. I was, I was gonna, I was wondering how they reacted. I'd probably like stone cold. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Stone cold. Uh-huh. And so I go back to North Carolina. I do what I do best and I'm a big pain in the ass. So for an entire year, I basically was such a pain in the ass at the end of the, the end of the school year. They said, fine, you can go. <laughs> So my junior um, and senior year of um, school, I uh, did in Orlando, Florida. Um, but, but ironically, Jeff had left and then KZ, 
um, had become the oh, gosh, that's the right. coach. I see. I forgot Schaefer was even there. I was thinking, oh, did you start with Jay? Like I completely forgot the. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how it how it all how it all began, and then ironically. <laughs> That's just so quick though, too. I mean, you, you go for a summer doing a sport you've never done and you just decide to move for your last two years of high school. Like that's, that's pretty intense, but it sounds like that's kind of the way you roll. As we unfold your story, I think our, our listeners will figure out that that is definitely the way you roll. <laughs> Jump on board, you say yes, and you're all in, which I love about you. You know, if, if the passion and the drive are there, yes. If the passion and the drive are there, no. Okay, those, that's good defining yeah. factor. But it right? took over, like it took over. Like I felt, a, yeah. So what was the process for you? Like, I mean, cause you just had two years really in high school to kind of get going and pretty, it sounds like pretty intensely. And then colleges around the corner, like, were you trying to focus more on Olympic level or really trying to get the scholarship or? Yeah, no, I mean, I was not, I mean, the Olympic thing was like, you know, I was, I was not a Laura Wilkinson, <laughs> you know, I, but I think the, at the rate that I improved in the few months I was doing it, that he thought if I continued to improve like that, you know, that could be a possibility. So, well, certainly you had all the pieces, Christy. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. But, you know, so at that point it was just like, it was just putting one day in front of the next, you know? And, and of course, like, it felt like the college piece was, I thought for me, it was going to be the long game in the sense that a lot of people that I actually was training with by the, they had been training. Like what I did have in my favor was diving was, I was so passionate. I loved it so much. I was the first one to the gym. I was the last one to leave, you know? And a lot of other people that had been diving since they were 10 or seven or whatever, they were just now diving still just to get their scholarship, right? They were just kind of like, okay, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've won a few national chains or whatever it might've been. Not everyone, of course, but I was just like waking up to it. So I felt like, of course, just the college piece would be a stepping stone. And my, my long goal was like, oh, 2004 Olympics, not 2000 is if I thought in my mind, if any of that was actually really going to be possible. But, you know, so at first just, you know, was, it was literally day after day and week after week to see what was happening. And, and I was just, the reason I say I was so fortunate was from moment one, I was training with some of the best athletes in the country. You know, it wasn't like I started at some small little pool where I was the best diver and didn't know what I was doing. You know, I started with, you know, elite level coaches, college level coaches, Olympic coaches, like, Jeff Schaefer, KZ, Jane Figueredo, Kenny Armstrong, like those were my coaches. Like, I don't know if there's better coaches in the, you know, like so much of that was, whether it was the grace of God or serpentipitous or, and that it happened to be at these places. So yeah, it just, it just, I just wanted more and I wanted just to, to see what I could do. You know, I'm um, a big, a big shift was when I started diving platform. You know, that was a big uh, shift and a big belief of like, oh my gosh, maybe I can do something in a big way. But also diving platform led to another injury, didn't it? Your wrist, was that from platform or was that from, I thought that was from platform, yeah. Yeah, so I, I ended up having a few other pretty big injuries, but um, yeah, I did um, shatter my left hand into a million pieces, basically. Um, I had three metal plates and 22 screws to put it back together. And um, that was super unfortunate because it um, happened the summer before I was supposed to start my freshman year of college. And that uh, kind of got me in the college coach situation off onto a not a great foot because I was on scholarship and, you know, clearly was not going to be able to compete my freshman year. And being a platform, I mean, I still dove springboard, but my my, where I was, my talent really was, was on, on platform and, and the not knowing of what was going to be once I healed, like, was, would I be able to handle the impact? Would I still be able to rip all the, you know, all the questions, but, uh, I was training with Jay LaRue at that time. And, uh, we did some really interesting training techniques to try to do stuff in the dry land that and keep my arm protected. Cause I was in one of those, uh, really big plaster casts, oh, you know, gosh. wrapped foam things around me and taped it. <laughs> so if it hit me, it wouldn't hurt. Well, you got to give Jay credit. He does think outside the box really well. So that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, and then uh, unfortunately, you know, I ended up compression fracturing my teeth, that, that same exact space in my back two more times. And that's really what 
ultimately became the end of my uh, diving career as well. Well, and that's got to be hard because I, I know some people get to the point where they're done with their sport and they're like, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to do this again. Like I've paid my dues. I've done, I feel accomplished, whatever. I'm, gonna, I'm ready to walk away. And I've always been jealous of that. I don't feel like I've ever quite had that, <laughs> but especially to be taken out from an injury where you don't feel like you're done. I mean, what are things that helped you get through that and move past that time? I'm going to backtrack for one second, just because I think it's interesting because um, you're a part of this. So you and I were very close at that time of 1998 to 2000, when you won the gold medal and we were training together at the same facility with Kenny. And I just graduated from college and I was working at a restaurant in the Woodlands and Kenny came back. You both came back and Kenny and Patty came to the restaurant in which I was working at and I was the hostess. And I, at that point, you know, I was already injured, but I thought I could still, I thought I was just going to have this great comeback story, right? That I could overcome and overcome and overcome. And, you know, I was feeling a little down, but obviously we were all so excited for you and just, you know, couldn't believe it and couldn't wait to embrace you. And, and I'll never forget this. So he came into the restaurant and he took off his Olympic ring and he handed it to me. And he said, it's now time for you to get yours. And I put it on. And of course, his fingers are like ginormous. <laughs> but I'll never forget that moment because just that of having him see that in me, like I actually really continued to lean back into because, you know, I never performed in competition the way I hoped I would. You know, I wish the practices I do now and the yoga and the mental work I've done, I had in those earlier years of, of training. And I think that would have really helped me. I just didn't have that mental toughness in competition, you know, for sure. And um, my anxiety got the better of me. And, but when, when the doctor said to me, like, you can't do this anymore, you're going to be walking with a cane by the time you're 30. Or if you have children, you're not going to be able to pick them up. You know, again, it was at that same place where I was at with gymnastics, where I didn't really have a choice any longer. And, you know, I, I questioned like, like, what was I doing? You know, did, did, was I just living in some fantasy that I could achieve these things? And, it, it was it was really hard because my my whole life from age seven basically to age twenty four or almost twenty four twenty three was for this shooting in the in a very specific direction to be able to go to the Olympic Games and these different sports and everything I did was to move in that direction and and again I I had no other dream I didn't have dreams of getting married. Like I thought I would then be a sports commentator, you know, everything surrounded around this. And what made it worse when I was older was probably for the first time I understood when I was 14, I didn't understand. I still thought my body was invincible, even though I was hurt. Like I was like, I'll be fine in a year. I'll be fine in a week. You know? And at that point I was like, oh, like I may not actually be fine. And I may not be able to move the way I want to move. And I might be in pain and I might be in this. And then I'm depressed and I have no vision and I have all these things. And for about six months to a year, I was not good, like at all. And it was at that point, someone actually took me to my first yoga class. And I knew nothing of yoga at the time. I had no idea it was a spiritual practice. I didn't know what a spiritual, beyond going to church, I didn't know what a spiritual practice was. And I just thought it was a kind of exercise. And I was like, okay, well, sure, I'll, I'll try it. And something happened to me when I took that first class. And it wasn't that I fell in love with the practice, but a curiosity awoken in me. I'd never been led through something by breath by breath. Um, in the style of yoga that I practice, it's called vinyasa. And, and literally every breath is instructed. Inhale, do this. Exhale, do that. For At that time, classes were 90 minutes. And it, it did. I, it put me into the best way I can explain it is like a moving meditation, which I'd never experienced before. It did something to the quality of my mind. And at the end of the class, I felt better. There was a lot of class I couldn't do because of my injury at that point. But just this window of curiosity or this spark of curiosity that opened enough, like not the same way gymnastics and diving did, but to like, it was almost like this, you know, when a plane's coming down to land and they're like, there are the people like doing the, yeah. the crossing, the thing. like come this way. It was like the spark lit up to be like, come this way, come this way. There's something here for you. And it was, it was strong enough and light enough. And that like, I continued to go back and I continued to go back. And 
that's where joy, like a joy of movement started coming back. My body was healing. I was connecting to my breath and a lot of the other wounds that I accumulated over the years of my training and the the things that I did to myself that were not good and the way I abused my body consciously and unconsciously came up to the surface very strongly. And my own self-hatred and my own self-betrayal and all my own unworthiness, because that was what I really struggled with of, of, I felt like I was a failure. I felt like, you know, my body broke down and it was, I was a failure because I didn't reach my goals, you know, and everybody knew me as the diver because I did move, because I did have this story because I did move away from home and I did do it in in maybe a little different way than some people did. And then to have fallen, not have reached where the dream was to go, but the healing that slowly, slowly, slowly started to happen and the aliveness that started to come back for something different um, that was connected so deeply to myself and so deeply to something larger than myself um, started to kind of take over. Well, and so, and at that time you were just taking the classes though, right? I mean, how did that move into, like, how did you get back to New York and how did it move into you working? Um, because you were at Exhale in New York before you moved to California, right? Mm-hmm. So how did, how did all that transition happen? So when I knew the diving was over, I left Texas because um, it was just... I mean, I literally was living like... I could like throw a baseball and hit the 10 meter from where I was living at the time, right? I was so close to the pool. Um, and it was just... It was, too, it was too hard. You know, I didn't even want to smell chlorine. So I had gone back home to, you know, work with some doctors and be with my family in North Carolina at the time. And then once again, once I got strong enough and was okay, I, I moved to New York. I was like, okay, let me get out of here. And that was when I found, that's when I started working for Exhale. So any job that I have had has always been around movement. So I, you know, early on got first, pers- even when I was still in college, I think I got a personal training certification. Like I just always was doing things um, like that. At one point I thought I was going to go back and get my degree in physical therapy, go back and get my master's in physical therapy. And so that was always... I think one of the things of being hurt so much, having so many injuries, you know, putting the body back together and um, was was super fascinating and to be able to support other people doing that. But now I had a new guy, a new lens on it because the practice I was doing was healing me and I wanted to be able to share that with others. But I started really in the fitness world. I taught tons of different fitness stuff and was still doing yoga as my personal practice. And I had many people that were like, why aren't you teaching yoga? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's just for me. <laughs> Yoga is what's feeding my soul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought if I if it shifted, that like it would, the magic would somehow go away. Interesting. Yeah. And because yoga really opened me up in a way that I didn't even know I was closed. It, it also felt very vulnerable. Like it, it felt like it was really reaching like such a deep place inside me. It felt the idea of teaching felt like I was going to be so exposed, like you were going to be able to like see inside my heart, you know? So I've resisted teaching for a long time, but I wanted to learn more about the practice. And the only way to learn about the practice at that time was to take a teacher training. So I took a teacher training, but before I signed up, I tried to negotiate with the teacher that I wouldn't have to do the, the, the practice teaching. <laughs> I was like, I just want to learn yoga. I don't want to teach. I was like, can I skip that part? I know. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing this on my terms and my terms only. (laughs) Kind of. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I just started doing training still no interest in teaching. I actually was teaching fitness like Pilates and bar and other fitness stuff and running what they called the mind body department for exhale. And then I became the person that they sent to new locations to help them set up the new business. So then I went, I moved to Boston for a year. We set up the facility there. And then after being in Boston, I was like, it's too cold. I got to get out of here. And they're like, well, we're going to LA. Do you want to go to LA? And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what eventually got me to LA. And that's really when my whole, everything shifted to this yogic path. As I ended up being at the helm of um, the studio that was, I would argue was probably the best studio in the US, if not the world at that time. I didn't know there was such a thing as famous yoga teachers, but 
it was like the Mecca of the, of the most influential Western teachers all at this one location. And all of a sudden I found myself running the studio. So I was like their boss, <laughs> you know? Um, but again, just similar to how, you know, my first experience diving was at this center that at the time was in the junior Olympic, whatever I end up like working at this place where it just became, it became my work and how I made money and my livelihood, but it also became like my training ground, so to speak. And in a, in a very similar, but different way. That's cool. Yeah. Yoga took over my life. <laughs> right. I first started using Katsu after I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a Katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add Katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore from a hard workout that I did while wearing the Katsu bands. I feel like Katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every winter and summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. To learn more about Katsu and even get 10% off, go to laurawilkinson.com slash katsu. That's laurawilkinson.com slash katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U. So did you actually start teaching at that point or were you just like, well, I'm the boss here and I'm just going to learn from these people? Like where, where were you at? Cause at some point it shifted. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd still, I'd still at that point, I like the new, the new, I think was like, I'm just going to like be the, I was now the corporate person, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to open up all their locations and then we're going to spread yoga and wellness and well-being to the world. And I'm going to be like the COO or whatever, you know, that was more, but I was still teaching on the side and I was still practicing. But then I show up at this place at a place I didn't even know could exist. And I was just like a kid in a candy store. And I still love my candy. I don't know if you remember my candy habits from 20 years ago, but (laughs) so that, that analogy is really good. Um, I was just like, just wanted to learn more and I got so submerged um, in it, but my fear of teaching grew bigger and bigger and bigger because I was taking the classes and working with these people that, again, were people from all over the world were flying in to train with these teachers, you know? So it actually frightened me that more to begin teaching, like if they're teaching, how can I teach? It was a really interesting dilemma of I'm thinking that I had nothing to offer in comparison, right? Right. We know comparison's never the the, the, the thief of joy and many other things, right? But what actually ended up happening, so I, I had I, two things happen. One of my teachers one day came in my office and I was very good at my job. Like I was very good at managing people. I was very good at like taking care of stuff. And so there was that, you know, reflection that felt good and that validation of, oh, I'm good at what I do and, you know, whatever. But one of my teachers came into my office and he said to me, he said, Christy, he's like, you're hiding. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're hiding behind this desk. And I'm like, what are you ta- like, who are you? You know, what, what do you right, Joe say this to me? And he's like, why aren't you teaching? He's like, you should be, you've done how many trainings? You've done how many trainings with me? You've assisted me, you've this, that. And he's like, you're scared and you're hiding. And he's like, and you need to figure out what it is you're hiding from and what it is you're afraid of. And I got really angry, but it hit like, you know, it was like, like a little dart to my, so I, it rang true. And that's why I got, you know, so angry. Um, and it was, it was just fear. It was fear that I wasn't going to be able to give do justice or do service to the practice because it had been something that had transformed my life on so many levels that we can't get into today. But I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, 
and continues to do so. You know, like I've probably this far in on the journey, really. And just from having that respect for it, but also thinking again, that little me, that little me that was a failure in these other things that she tried, right? That I I wasn't going to be able to do it or I wasn't going to succeed and I was going to fail again, you know? But what I was doing running the business like was safe because I was good at it and I knew it and all the things. And, but one day a teacher didn't show up to teach their class. And we had about 25 people um, waiting. And normally the studio was quite big. So normally there would be another teacher that was showing up to take the class. So the girl at the front desk came in my office. She's like, Hey, Baron's not here. And I'm like, well, did you call him? Well, yeah, he's not picking up. Well, who's here? Who can teach it? And she goes, you. And I was like, what? And she was like, nobody's here. And there's 25 people in there. So you want me to send everybody home with a comp pass or do you want to teach the class yourself? And I like literally looked, I had a big mirror above my desk and I looked in the mirror and I just said, who are you to share this practice? And the voice that came back was, who are you not to share the practice? And then the other voice in my head said, put on your big girl pants on your big girl yoga pants and check yourself at the door and just go in and teach the class. And that's actually how I taught my first yoga class. Oh, that's so I was, that was going to be my next question is how did you actually get past that? And you kind of ran out of choices, <laughs> which I, I love. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, exhale is going to be really pissed at me if I send all these right. people home. <laughs> so how was it? Like what, what, like as soon as you started, were you relieved or was it like agonizing the whole time or did you just get into it? Like, what was that first class like? Yeah. I mean, because I had taught thousands of classes in another regime, like once I just started, I was okay. But it was like getting me through the door, right? Like getting out of my own way, right? Getting out of the negative self-talk or the sabotage in my own mind, right? And then once I began, I was just able to just be present. And that's what's so beautiful about actually teaching yoga is you're you're responsible for all these people in front of you. So you're never more present. Like I'm more present when I'm teaching than I am even in my own practice. I, I mean, it's true. And that's part of why it feels so good because there's that just, you're just so synced in breath by breath, watching people breathe, you're breathing, you know, the music, the movements, everything together. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, super passionate. (laughs) I love it. You should be, like we said, you should be passionate about what you're doing. So from that point, did you start teaching it more regularly? And we're like, okay, this, this is my thing. So here's the thing. The other thing I did know in those moments, like I hadn't been scared like that about something in a very, very long time. And so I knew I was on, like, I was at that precipice of something because everything else in my life was kind of just, you know, but it was interesting. I was teaching two yoga classes a week at that time, starting at that time. And I would come up with every reason under the sun, like why, oh, I have a financial report to write, you know, why I should sub out the class, like getting me to walk through that door and actually show up and teach the class was so difficult. Still. Wow. Yeah. For a few months. Cause it was like every day, like the saboteur would come up and say, well, you're not worthy. You're not this, you're not this famous teacher or that famous teacher or that famous teacher, you know? And one of the famous teachers, um, her name is Sean Korn and she became a dear friend of mine. And I, you know, would called her and she just said to me, like, she's like, every time she's like, every time you show up and do it, those voices will get smaller. I promise you. But she was like, the more that you succumb to those voices and use logic and reason for why you should not teach those classes, those voices are only going to get louder and you're only going to build more resistance to showing up. That's so true. Like anytime you're facing a fear or an insecurity, I think that's just kind of, and I love how you're explaining it because it just, it seems so clear the way you're, you're talking about it, you know, and when, when those things get so big, it's almost like being trapped on an elevator with an elephant, you know, and you're like trying to pretend it's not there, but yet you're squished in the corner and there's nowhere to go. But if you stare it in the face and you start talking to it, you can finally start to, you know, make it smaller. It's almost like taking the air out of a balloon, right? It just continually gets smaller and smaller until you can walk right past it and and get out the door. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that analogy. (laughs) 
So you were in California for quite a while. Like, did you begin heading up that studio teaching wise or how was that? Did you go from the corporate side to more of the teaching side? Well, I did. I I straddled both for a very long time because the the corporate side was it was paying the bills. (laughs) But but the beauty of it was, though, is I could just teach and not be a lot of studios. You get paid like based on the number of students that come to the class. You have a flat rate and and then you get like extra money for how many students come. So and because I ran payroll, I paid all these people. I knew exactly what everybody was making. So I also knew how difficult it was to actually make a living, even being some of the best teachers in the world. Do you know, like that's, that was just the reality. So the beauty of it was I didn't have the stress of like, okay, if five people were in class, it didn't matter because that's not what was paying my bills at that point, right? I had the secure job. This was just like, oh, extra money to go out to dinner, you know, kind of situation. So that took a huge um, stress off. And then it just slowly started to get bigger. So at first it was like two classes a week and then it built to like four. And then I think at the end I was teaching about seven classes a week, but it got to a point where I was working like 60 hours a week running a yoga and health and wellness business. (laughs) (laughs) Which is supposed to be not stressful, right? You're supposed to be de-stressing in that environment. (laughs) De-stressing other people is very different than de-stressing yourself. Fair. (laughs) I learned that one very quickly, (laughs) very quickly. To make other people de-stress, sometimes your stress goes up. We used to joke, we used to joke about it all the time being like, hmm, is this health and wellness in here? Um, But, uh, it got to a point where I was at that tipping point where I didn't have more time or energy to devote to learning more, studying more, taking everything to the next level. Because I'd been at that point, a yoga festival started to happen. It was like a whole new wave of like yoga becoming more mainstream. And I started getting invitations to go to these different places. And because I was really the brick and mortar of this business, I could only go if I took paid time off or if it was a weekend that I wasn't working. And so then it was like, I was using all my vacation days to go travel and teach other places or do a retreat. And this, it was just hit this tipping point of like, okay, if you really want to go after this, you have to leave the safety net and the security. And that was my next big leap. And everyone told me I was nuts. Everyone told me that you have this big stage, you have this big platform, everybody knows who you are because of the stage, and now you're going to leave it. You, you know better than anyone how hard it is to make money as a yoga teacher. And, and I had some really bizarre instances that came forth that just made it so, so clear that the way I was living and the way I was working was no longer in alignment. And I got to a point where the fear of if I failed was much smaller than the fear of actually staying and staying small and staying trapped in something that what, like it was such an interesting dichotomy because when I arrived in California, I arrived in that position beyond a shadow of a doubt. I knew it was exactly where I was supposed to be exactly where I was supposed to be at that time. And then over the years it evolved and it was no, no longer, but sometimes it's hard to actually admit that because you're like, how could something that was so right now be something that's actually a detriment to the evolution of my being, the evolution of my career, the evolution of where my soul, I believe, wanted to go. It took a while to get there, but then it became, it was like, no, 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 no. Like I I have to see what's on the other side of this. And that was when I said goodbye to that. And well, and and I'm so excited about this next part because we had dinner not too long ago where I was like, all right, Tell me all the things because you kind of like just disappeared and became this nomadic yoga teacher all over the world. <laughs> like, how did this happen? So tell us this story because I think it's so fun kind of how it all transpired. Like you finally took that step away and then what happened? How did you become this, this new person? Well, that saying that take a leap and the net will appear or, you know, you, you, if you, you take that step and the ground will rise up to meet you. Um, or you'll grow wings and learn how to soar (laughs) was exactly what happened to me. I had to leave the business before I could even open up a scope of vision to know what was possible. And, but literally my very last day at work, it was actually a Friday. I get a phone call from um, this company in Bulgaria called Udaya and they do these 
very elaborate, like DVD at the time it was DVDs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's obsolete now, but well, everything's obsolete after like six months now. <laughs> I know. Right. They're like, Hey, I was like, it's like, is it true? You're a free agent. Are you leaving exhale? And it's like, yeah. And they're like, do you want to come to Bulgaria on Monday? <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, so they had like a cancellation or something and they needed to fill it to film this whole content. And I literally was like, okay. (laughs) So I, that Saturday, so two days actually earlier, let me backtrack two days earlier. I was still at work. I got a call from that same teacher, Sean Korn, the one that was trying to help empower me to really step forth as a teacher. She came down with vertigo and was teaching at this thing called the yoga journal conference in San Diego. And she's like, I have vertigo. I, I can't teach. They asked me to find someone to replace me. Would you want to replace me this weekend in San Diego? And I was like, what? I was like, you want me to fill in for you? <laughs> It'd be like me showing up and filling in for you at a diving meet. Like, hi, everybody. No, I'm not Laura, but here we go. <laughs> so I, again, I didn't want to say yes, but I knew I had to say yes. So that happened. And then literally two days later, I was getting on a plane and going to Bulgaria to shoot my first DVD. And I thought I was going to take the whole summer off. Like I was like, I'm going to take six months off. I'm going to like figure out what it is I really want to do. And I did not have the vision of being a nomadic traveling yoga teacher. I wanted to find a better balance between the two. Like I wanted yoga to be at the forefront and then figure out, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the configuration yet and things just started coming. And I just started saying, yes, next thing I knew I was like, literally looking up on Google, a map of the world to be like, where did I just agree to go to? (laughs) Like, I was like, where's Bandun, Indonesia? You know, where's Kuala Lumpur? Like, I didn't know. Like, I'm literally looking and I spent the next six months pretty much traveling all through Southeast Asia, partly through Europe, thinking again that this was like, oh, I'm just doing this for these six months. Was your thing to just kind of be like, I'm just going to say yes to anything? Well, originally, no. Originally, I was like, I just thought I was going to be hanging out in LA for six months, like figuring it out, whatever that means. <laughs> but as the opportunities came, like I was like, oh, well, I just, I just, I have to say yes and figure out what it is. And I kind of just thought, I, I guess like my, my mind didn't even imagine it would continue. I was, I thought all of these were once in a lifetime opportunities. So I was like, okay, I have to say yes. Oh yes. I have to say yes to that. And I had decided to take a personal trip to Nepal. So I had tra- I was taking a, a personal trip to Nepal that fall. And once I had planted myself in Asia, the whole this whole Asia thing opened up through a girlfriend of mine who introduced me to all of these people. And by the time, by November of that year, my whole next year of travel was booked. So I went back to LA and I packed up my apartment. I was like, well, if I'm going to be on the road for a year, I probably shouldn't be paying rent, (laughs) you know? So I put all my stuff in storage thinking I would do this for the year. Again, I didn't even have like, that's how much, go back to the analogy of being a kid in the candy store. Like I was just like, this was a whole new world. And I was just flying by the seat of my pants, but somehow it was working. And I was meeting amazing people going to amazing, uh, all kinds of amazing places and getting to share the gift of yoga and meditation and dance and music and help people really, I mean, my, my real mission is help people come alive. Like, I feel like so much of our society is caught in this comfortably numb and for good reason, for many capacities, the world is a really challenging place, especially right now and has been for quite some time, but inside of us, there's so much energy and there's so much power and there's so much aliveness. And I do believe we all incarnated for a very specific reason. And it was not just to suffer. It was not just to overcome trauma. It was not just to overcome this obstacle or next, but it was also right to connect with this essence of life, of joy, of bliss, right? That it also comes through all the pain and everything else. And you know, for me, the, the yoga practice is what has brought me back, you know, in touch with all those things. And so how many years ended up going, like <laughs> you booked a year out and then did another year just happen another year? I mean, cause this was several years. It was six years 
until the pandemic hit. And the year of 2020 was supposed to be my, like, it was like, I literally- You're never going to have an off year. (laughs) Went 2019 to 2020. I literally was like, I was like, okay, Christy, you asked to play at a bigger level. Here we go. Because I had just signed up my first book deal and I was going to more countries than I'd ever gone in my life. I was like, how are you going to do all? Like, I literally was like, okay, you're going to have to figure this out. But <laughs> here you go. This is, you, this is what you asked for. This is what you asked for. You know, I, and then the pandemic hit, obviously. And I was then not able to go anywhere. And that was a whole nother set of challenges because this life and this career that I thought I built for six years of being this global traveling yoga teacher and setting up yoga schools all over the world and training teachers all over the world have basically evaporated overnight. So how do you pivot from something like that? You've, you've poured six years of your life into this, which kind of, yeah, it became its own thing. And then, and then it's gone. Like how, how do you shift gears and, and change courses so fast? I I will say it was close to equally as traumatic as ending my diving career. I mean, in so many ways it was, because again, it wasn't on my own terms. And I went into a state of panic. I did at first because I was like, I didn't realize that I had all my eggs in one basket. I thought I was diversified because I went to so many different places. I never imagined that everything would fall away. And I, I didn't imagine, or I never really thought about that it for me to make money required me to get on a plane and fly somewhere. You know, I am a single woman. So that piece of like not knowing how, I mean, we, there was so much we didn't know, right? Two years ago, just literally two years ago, probably to the day, this was like when everything started crumbling, right? We didn't know enough at that time. So we didn't know how long we were going to be in it and all these things. Honestly, my saving grace was my book. Like I said, I'd signed the book deal just a couple of months earlier. I had just started writing the book in February. Every day I would wake up, check the news, be in panic. I, what am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like similar, like Christy, you have a job, you're being paid to write this book. And if you don't get your head out of your, excuse my language, you're going to have to give the money back that they paid you to do this. And then you have no job, you know? So it was really, it was like, you have the opportunity now to do this and that was the first big pivot. And that's really what I spent the next nine months doing. Um, I taught a little bit online, but uh, most of it was working on the book, which very mirrored very much the beginning of my teaching yoga career of, oh my God, how did I fool these people that I knew how to write a book? You know, Because <laughs> I haven't written more than an Instagram post since college. So now I'm like trying to write a book and that was it. You know, so... I had to really put to practice everything that I teach and everything that I am constantly sharing to be able to show up, put my saboteurs, put all of my demons of unworthiness of who do you think you are to rest on a daily basis to show up and write this book. And that's basically what led me for the, until the summer of 2021, when the book came out, the book came out just six months ago. Yeah. And how's that been going? So that your book is called Chakra Rituals, Awakening the Wild Woman Within. And so, yeah, how is it going? I mean, that's that is such a big pivot going from traveling <laughs> yoga teacher to author. But what has that experience been like? And how, how has your book been received? It's been an amazing and crazy and terrifying and exciting process. All It's been everything. I said, it's really stretched me into like the joy and the terror simultaneously naively, just kind of like getting into everything I've gotten into. I didn't know enough about gymnastics. I didn't know enough about diving. I didn't know enough about yoga to like show up and same thing. Like I knew nothing about writing a book and being the pandemic, it wasn't as easy to like, Oh, let's get a writing coach. Let's do this. Let's do that. And so again, I was literally figuring it out as I went. And, um, I luckily have some, you know, good mentors that were, you know, encouraged, you know, giving me lots of encouragement and support, the difficult part really was beyond, you know, dealing with my own, my own shadow, so to speak, you know, that's really what, what I dealt with. But once the book came out, we were still in the midst of, at least in California, really, and like everything was still shut down. You know, you couldn't do a book tour. So everything was digital and everything was online. And uh, that part was a little disheartening because I didn't feel like I got to have the big celebration, but um, the book is doing well. 
it's getting translated into Japanese. It's coming oh, wow. out next month in Japanese. That's the first foreign rights deal I signed. So that's super exciting. Now I've, I've created multiple online programs, you know, different lengths and degrees, all based off the book. And so it's continuing to go. And um, I'm, I'm getting so many emails and, you know, Instagram messages from, from different women all over that um, are, are super grateful for the work. It's a really beautiful, beautiful book. And the whole premise of it is, is, is actually what I said my real mission is, is, is helping people to, that's why it's called awake, Awakening the Wild Woman Within. And to me, the wild woman within is your authentic self. You know, it's, it's who you really are at your essence, you know, point blank end of story. So it's how do we use the map of the energy centers of the body, the chakra system, is that's what I'm super, super passionate about. And everything I teach is based off of. Um, how can we use this as a map for our own empowerment, our own awakening, so that we can live a life that is full of color and rich and love and passion and freedom, but really be grounded in this very human experience and be able to, to deal with everything that life brings. Ah, that's cool. Well, and that leads into you, you do a wild woman Wednesday on IGTV now. So what is, is that kind of, is that part of one of the spinoffs from the book? Yeah, I actually started that before the book came out, but, um, I wanted to do a podcast <laughs> and at the time I was like, I just don't have the resources or the support yet. And I knew if I waited, it, I was just, I was going to wait. So I said, what's the easiest way I could just start it now? So it's like IG is a very forgiving platform. It's super easy. There's no editing. There's, you know, and so let, let me just, let me just start it. So the whole idea was just to, to share women's stories. You know, um, I want more women's voices to be heard. I want more women growing up or more kids growing up to have more access to stories, role models of, from different backgrounds, all with, it all falls under the umbrella of wellness, but wellness can be, you know, it can be art. Wellness can be how we eat. Wellness could be, you know, how we train. Wellness can be how we raise our family, you know, really expanding this definition of wellness and well-being and expanding this definition of yoga, right? That yoga is anything that we are bringing our conscious awareness and attention to. So having something that could be fun, but also that could be deep and inspiring and, you know, people sharing, you know, their stories of success, their stories of failure, their stories of overcome, and it's just been a lot of fun. I had one today and um, this, this beautiful uh, Kundalini teacher and musician and composer and she had his dancing. <laughs> sometimes they're just conversation and sometimes they turn into a dance party. I don't know, you know. Well, speaking of dance too, you do kind of a different style of yoga. Now, were you the first person to kind of incorporate this dance and DJ and like, you've got a whole vibe going and I love your pictures and videos that you post. Like, it just looks like so much fun. Like, how did you dream that up? Where did that come from? Are, are you kind of like the originator of that? I mean, everything comes from you and everything comes from the universe, so to speak, you know, like, and the way I do it, yes, but of course, other people have been, you know, exploring these different fusions for for um, long time. I luckily had two teachers early on that were very outside the box, and they kind of gave me full permission to be like, "Oh, well, I'm going to try this," you know. And I really will say that um, the integration of yoga and music and dance in this way is, in many ways, really bringing me back to like, you know, how I grew up. We lived in an apartment on top of my mom's dancing school, and music and movement, you know, through the different athletic endeavors have all been like the keystone of my life. And dance is so much of a, a liber, a liber a, is a, 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 an experience of liberation. But most people or a lot of people, the only time they dance is when they're on drugs or drinking alcohol. And I wanted to create something to show people that you can have that experience of that power and that elation and that confidence and that, you know, creative expression just with you. And it's been really amazing. And I've gotten people dancing that uh, swear they've never danced before. And, and I'm not teaching a routine. It's not like five, six, seven, eight. It's actually, you know, getting you to a place that you feel free enough to express and to move and to breathe and just enjoy the aliveness and the power that's pulsing through your body and letting it move, letting the emotions move, letting everything just flow. And it's super powerful and super fun. And I hope I get to share it with you sometime. 
I think that would be, that sounds like a lot of fun. It sure looks like it from everything that I see. Now, where, where can people buy your book, take your courses, connect with you online? You do retreats, you do all of the things. So where can people find you online and connect with you? I mean, probably the easiest place is Instagram. It's at Christy underscore Christensen because I have my little link tree there. And from there, there's you know links to my website for the book. The book is available anywhere books are sold pretty much from Target to Amazon to Walmart, you name it. And then there's also links to my personal Christy Christensen website, but and all the courses that are running, amazing retreats. Yay! Retreats are coming back. Yay! Um, even this <laughs> summer. Yeah. So really excited for um, I did my first retreat um, in two and a half years in January and just to be with people. I missed people. <laughs> yeah. That we're we're not made so. to be alone. We're made to be in community and be around others. So yeah, it is a beautiful thing to return to that for sure. Absolutely. Well, Christy, thank you for coming on. It's always such a joy to talk to you. You are such a fun storyteller and uh, not afraid to get into the things. So I appreciate <laughs> that. And I hope we can all awaken our wild woman within or or men. I'm sure there's yeah, some wild, wild men one, out there listening. Wild one. Wild, wild one. All right. There you go. Christy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.